You're listening to The Recovered Life Show, the show that helps people in recovery live their best recovered lives. And here is your host, Damon Frank. And welcome back to The Recovered Life Show, episode 111, Wednesday, May 18th, 2022. That is awesome. 111. I'm doing great, Damon Frank. How are you doing? Good, Christina Dennis, joined by with you today. I'm so excited. Episode 111, 111 on a good, uh, you know, happy Wednesday. Right. Middle of the week, middle of the week. Everybody's like, you know, either trying to survive the week, Christina, that's what I find, or they're excited about the weekend. We are. That's usually the two camps. We are on hump day, right? That's the that's the mountain, right? We've been climbing the mountain. Now we get to go downhill. I, 111 is a spiritual number. So I think it's very cool. We're going to have a great show. I don't, I'm going to look that up. I don't know what 111 means, but uh, maybe it means something really cool. And that's what yeah. I'm hoping. You know, we did something on superstitions. So uh-huh. I'm going to say that that 111 number is going to be good for me, you know, and I'm going to look for good, good things. Uh, I promise you it is good. It, I promise it will be a good day and a good show. So we've got a, we have got just an, I, I'm just going to, I'm just going to toot our own horn here. We have an amazing show today, chock full of great <laughs> recovery tidbits that you, you do not want to miss the show because nope. we've got something for everybody. We've got something for people who are dealing with codependency. We've got people who are uh, hardcore alcoholics if you're in here trying to get sober or you've been sober for years working on stuff, we've got something about priorities coming up. It's going to be a really good show. So hang tight. It's going to be a good one, guys. Yes. And before we get to it, though, I want to remind everybody this show is being brought to you by Recovered Life contributors like me and Damon and people like you. Please like, share, follow, leave us a comment so we can keep bringing information that you're interested in to the show. Also, visit at info.recoveredlife.us. You can join the network, which is completely free, where we continue the conversation off these platforms and leave us a donation, which allows us to keep doing the show and helping others. That's info.recoveredlife.us. Yes, thank you so much. You know, we we always hesitate to say make a donation because when we first mm-hmm. started this, Christina, we were like, you know, we, we shouldn't say that. But then you know what happened was, is the Recovered Life community kind of knocked at the door and said, yep. how do we help you? You know, how do we help you continue on and carry this message? Because there's such value coming out of the community. And what's great about the donations is we put them right back. We just had a little donation the other day, and it allows us to reinvest in the show to bring more content to you and people who are struggling. You know, you might not be struggling, but you remember what it was like when you were. So thank you so much uh, for anyone who has donated. Uh, Christina, episode 111, I said it was going to be fun-filled. We're going to go a little deep into recovery today and talk about some advanced more advanced stuff. And you hit up a term on the recovered life discussion the other day that kind of blew my mind. I was like, what is she talking about? And it was emotional flooding. And I'm like, what is emotional flooding? It's so good to talk about this for people who are new in recovery or have been around a while. Emotional flooding is that sensation, that physiological response that we have when either one emotion surges 
or multiple emotions surge. And it's often discussed within the context of a relationship. And I believe, and data has shown that once you're able to name something and understand that it's more universal than you think, it takes the power out of it. So emotional flooding means you're having an argument with your spouse uh, and all of a sudden this gigantic amount of emotions flood over you. And that can be really scary, especially when we've stopped using that substance that helps us numb. Did you experience so is that? Yo, oh, you know what? I, yep. I, I did not know I was experiencing it. I remember I, now what I thought is, is what's the difference between being overwhelmed and emotional flooding? Yes. That, that's well, what comes to mind for me. Sure. Well, overwhelmed is, you know, is a word that we use uh, when certain stressful things happen. Emotional flooding is when a comment or, or, you know, something that probably is innocuous in many ways that we're not expecting mm -hmm. shows up and it is absolutely making it impossible for us to communicate. When you're overwhelmed, you can still communicate and you have a better idea of what's happening. Flooding literally takes over our body and it can be really, really scary. You can get red cheeks. It it speaks to the heart rate increasing. It speaks to the fact that you can't really figure out exactly what just happened and how yeah. quickly it can happen to everybody. And both men and women do it. Um, it's attached oh, to- I definitely- you do I it? definitely, yeah, no, I've definitely have done it, you know, I think more in the past, but you know, when, when stressful things happen and, you know, I'm going to be honest, this week was very stressful. We had a lot of stuff. We have a lot of stuff going on in, in, in our lives and in our family's life. And you know, what happens is we get, uh, we get very, uh, I know for me, I sometimes can get very narrow and just focused on what's actually going on. Really? No room, but it starts <laughs> with emotion. Yeah. Well, it starts with emotional flooding. It's like this feeling. And this is one of the things I want to talk with you about this that I find interesting about emotional flooding is that it does, it, it creates a chemical in your body where you feel that you are just like, you know, you could feel it coming over you. It is yes. like a Yes, yes, exactly. And, you know, you asked a really insightful question about the difference between overwhelm and flooding. Flooding usually happens immediately uh, in, in the article that I brought up, which I think is a really great introduction to this term. They share the story about how somebody has pushed away their emotions all day. And then your husband walks in and says, oh, you know, they talk about this cute story about how she asked for help with dinner. And he says something kind of cute back, like you've domesticated me. And she absolutely lands on her in a, in a huge way. And it's such a simple statement and probably meant in a teasing way. But at that point, she blew up. And if you don't address emotional flooding, if you don't share with your partner, if you don't have habits and, and kind of these techniques to address the physiological response, it will, it will lead to stonewalling. And stonewalling is when somebody shuts down and can't talk anymore. Some people, you know, uh, they flip out or they become really, really angry or they start listing everything that the partner has done that has upset them. And then perhaps that partner to deal with the flooding that they're having ends up stonewalling where they don't say a word, where they refuse to communicate. So what do you do if you feel that you're in a situation, if somebody's listening to this and saying, you know, hey, 
wow, I think I have emotional flooding. What, what do you do to stop that? Because obviously you don't want to go there. And if you can start to recognize the pattern, mm-hmm. then you can, you can, uh, you can stop it, I assume, or at least treat it in a way where it's going to be better for the responses that you have for the people well, in your life. You're not just there, acting out. Yeah. There, well, the great thing about it is once you name it and understand that everybody has this kind of response mm-hmm. at one point in time, you can preemptively work on it. Breath, as simple as that sounds, ends up being one of the best ways to slow it down or interrupt the pattern. So focusing on your breath inside you know, when it's happening, as you start feeling it, you recognize I'm, I'm having flooding right now. And you start taking these huge, deep breaths. You can also learn to meditate, which is one of the things that, you know, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous was kind of ahead of its time in some ways, Mm -hmm. because it started talking about it. And what that does is give you a really good body mind connection and helps you say, Oh, I, this is what's happening to right now. I'm going to take deep breaths. And so if we are connected to our breath all day, then we won't possibly swallow down the anger. We will actually name it, start talking about it. The other thing that you can do with your partner is have a conversation about it prior to. And this is something that I had to do with my husband. A trigger would happen. And I'm very open about our first year of connection and how difficult it was for me not to have this emotional flooding when we would be having a normal first year argument. And I would absolutely stonewall and just stop talking. And what was suggested to, to us was we had these conversations in those painful therapy sessions about this is what's happening to Christina when she starts behaving this way. You do not take it personally. And because we had talked about it and I was vulnerable and said, I don't have a handle on my emotions when, when we're starting to create closeness, you know, my fear takes over. We, he was able to start understanding, oh, this isn't about me. She's not shutting me down. She's shutting down herself. And he Mm. would come over and hold my hand and that would stop that flooding and allow me to take that 15, 20 minutes that it took for my prefrontal cortex to come online. And then we could have a conversation about it. Um, It's impossible. We don't have access to our prefrontal cortex when this is happening. So anything after a blow up or a flood and then stonewalling is useless. We have to wait the 15, 20 minutes for it to subside. And then we can have a conversation about it. Well, you know, I rem- I'm going to share an experience that I had because when you brought this topic up and I was like, oh, this is really interesting because mm-hmm. I don't think people will necessarily relate right off the bat to emotional flooding because it's not a term that's used a lot, I don't think. Right. But, but I think the feeling of being overwhelmed is is similar, right? Like I yes. think maybe people say, I'm just overwhelmed with, I can't process all of this at one time, right? I have so many feelings, so many thoughts, and I can't really verbalize it in the way that I want to. I know about, uh, you know, about 10 years into my recovery, I had a, you know, I was, I was having that feeling, which now I would say was emotional flooding where I would get overloaded, you know, and I am one of Uh these people that I could take on the world and do everything, but I would get times where I was overloaded. And what would happen is, is that I would uh, eventually, because I was overloaded, I would start running late. 
And I was always, mm. I found myself in a situation where it was very unlike me. I was late all the time to everything, right? And right. I didn't like it because I thought for me, it showed a lack of character to be late anytime, right? Yes. And uh, and I wanted to be, I wanted to be prompt. So I would have this feeling of just being totally flooded with stuff. And I remember after working on this for years, it would cause great anxiety for me. And oh, I remember goodness. after years of having this, I just put a pin in it one day. And I, I remember saying, you know, uh, this, the feelings, I can't stop. The feelings are going to mm -hmm. come. And a lot of them, I believe, are biological with anxiety. The feelings sure. are going to come. But my reaction to the feelings and what I decide to do with them is a choice. Mm. Like being overwhelmed and being emotionally flooded, I found is a choice that I could choose to keep going down the path. Or I could start getting emotionally flooded and put a pin in it and say, yes. I'm going to pause for a minute and I'm going to choose how deep I want to go into this hole. And for me, that was a huge breakthrough because it allowed me to really take a little bit of control mm -hmm. over the actions that I had with my feelings, not the feelings. And once I had that down, then I felt that I could then really look at the feelings because I think the problem is with emotional flooding is it's really hard to get to the solution because you really can't with everything that's going on when you're buried so deep. No, no. And, and you know what I love about the way you shared your technique is that you took judgment out of it. You know, we took that, that big, huge uh, position. I think a lot of people in early recovery struggle with, they have an idea of who they want to be but they aren't quite there yet. Let's say they have history that they still need to process or they, they need to dive deeper and understand why the language that's being used triggers them. And you under, and, and what you said was, I, I didn't judge my feelings. I put a pin in them and then I was able to react and respond in the way that I wanted to. And I think that is massive. And you know, when we have somebody who stonewalls, which I have to say, I was definitely somebody who did this, I would get flooded and then I would stonewall. What we have to understand as the partner is that that, that period of stopping and pausing will will um, will give our stonewalled person a time to kind of connect mm. with themselves. And it's so hard though, right? When you're in the middle of a fight or a disagreement or you're surprised because you were saying something that was just meant to be funny, it's really hard not to want to push through it and meet it with, with anger as well. But if you give that person time, and if we have an understanding of that as we're entering into the recovery process, we'll take that judgment part out. I have hated myself after some of the things that have come out of my mouth whenever I was triggered or flooded, you know, hated it. And then I had two problems to clean up. Not only the one that affected me originally, I had to clean up my behavior and how I approach somebody. Well, there's the people who shut down too. And, you know, and then there's the opposite person. I like, I know if you're raised in an alcoholic home, mm -hmm. sometimes a lot of the times you have to get into action a lot quicker. Yes. Right? Because <laughs> pausing, pausing is going to get your ass killed, right? Like, right. you know what I mean? It's like if a truck's coming at you, you always feel that you have to manage everything that's going on around you. One of the biggest blessings that I've gotten in my own recovery, which I try to kind of impart on the people that I work with, is that you do have certain choices. Like I said, you know, I realize, and I, I got to tell you, it to, to I remember calling my friend and saying, "Hey, 
my ability to have massive anxiety and go down this emotional flooding hole, right, mm -hmm. is, is a choice. Um, mm -hmm. I can't control these feelings, right? The right. feelings are going to come. And I'm, and I'm, and, I, and the other thing is I'm not saying, I'm not one of these people that say, don't acknowledge the feelings. I, I, matter of fact, that was the step for me. I acknowledged I was happy. Yes. Like I'm having an irrational response and I'm five minutes late. Yes. And for me and so many people that I've worked with, uh, you know, the first step for me with any kind of flooding situation and why I like the flooding thing, I'm just going to add is because that's what it feels like for me. It hits me in the face first. It yes. goes all the way through my body and I could feel the toxins being released. Right. And, and the fight or flight takes over for me. Yes. Right? Yes. And I'm somebody who's going to survive at any cost uh, when that doesn't warrant it. It's a situation of like, I'm five minutes late. It doesn't warrant this kind of emotional response. No. So the big thing, the big breakthrough with me, the two of it, I have to say, Christina, is that one was just saying, hey, you know what? This is a choice. I could choose to go down this road. I acknowledge these feelings. I'm going to make a different choice. The second was a, a technique I got in the first couple of weeks of sobriety when I had cravings, which was me. I just stop for a second. If I had to, I'd pull over this other road. I'd right. close my eyes and I would go out of my body and mm -hmm. I would look at me having the experience of being. Yes. yes. And I got to tell you, that was a game changer for me because it allowed me to objectify a bit. Right. Like this is, this is me having the experience, but who is the me watching me having the experience? Right. Deflated it. It deflated. Yes. Yes. It partnered with it. And so your parent, you know, I do a lot of work in inner child, your parent, you know, took over and actually fulfilled and protected the child and said, you know, I know you don't want to hurt other people. And I love it that you don't judge that reaction. And it, this isn't, you know, what we're saying is not like here, carte blanche, go be, you know, an angry person to everyone you talk to, but understand that those are indications that things need to be addressed. And, you know, perhaps, I mean, the article, I really hope people will go to the article and read it because hopefully it'll give you some peace, really explains about including your partner talking to your partner about the fact that you're having this response, which is one of the reasons why I brought, wanted to bring it to the show to really say everyone is having this response in an early um, recovery. Well, I, you know, I, I'm just going to say, I think one of the, one of the great things about 12 step programs is it touches on things like fear, mm -hmm. anxiety, depression, and I think it it does shine a light on it. The unfortunate thing, I think, though, is that it doesn't, you know, and it's not meant to, and it shouldn't. It's perfect just the way it is, as I said. Yes. But, you know, these topics, when you're talking about anxiety, triggering, mm -hmm. emotional flooding, things like that, there isn't really a process built in for that, right? Right. Uh, it's not a one-size-fits-all thing. And this is why I think more of a concierge approach to recovery when it comes to these things. You know, like what I just said about, you know, looking at me, having that experience, that worked great for me. It might not work for everyone though, right? Yes, yes. It, it might be something like what you're talking about, which I know you've done with your clients a lot, which is let's dive into the root cause of why this is being true, right? So we don't get there. And that has value too. So what, what, I, what, I, what I really recommend to people is that if you, have this overwhelmed emotional flooding feeling 
is to start working on this. Because for me, I'm going to tell you, I suffered for well over a decade mm. uh, when I, when I didn't have to, yes. I did. I didn't have to, right. Because I kept thinking that there was a general solution for it. Uh, right. And in reality, there wasn't, there was a personal solution. And I actually, it took me talking with somebody else who kind of knew that was going on, that had gone through it to help me walk through, not only give me the techniques, but also kind of tell me and coach me a bit about what's actually going on here with me. Right. So, so good. I love that you bring that up. And so I think that's one of the goals of this show is to talk about that next level recovery and to take the shame out of what we all have to do when we stop using stuff that numbs us. It's uh, it's so important. It, it breaks my heart that you had to suffer for 10 years. So I love that you are a man in recovery who's willing to share. Well, you know what? I think it's important because, um, you know, my journey with anxiety started when I was a little kid. Right. Yes. Um, and because in a lot of different ways in my life, I'm a high performance person mm -hmm. okay, in, in a lot of different areas it was harder. People could see that I was struggling, but my output was good. Yes. Right? So if your output is good, if you're winning, no one cares, right? Exactly. It's like, he's winning. Like, don't break what's working, right? But inside, you know, I remember, especially in the business world, uh, the more intense things would get, the more I would ratchet up the anxiety. The more I ratcheted up the anxiety, the more I felt anxiety was an edge. So when I had a feeling of emotional flooding, I NLP'd myself basically that, yes. oh no, no, this is like my edge. Anxiety is my edge. But what happened was, is that it ate me. Yes. My edge ate me, Christina. Yeah, the cost was too high. Yeah, the cost was too high. And it was never my edge. That was an illusion. It was an illusion. Mm. You know, you in the in the article, they talk about using flooding as a tool. And you just nailed it, explaining how we can sometimes not want to actually walk through the process because we use it as a way to say things that we want to say, you know, and and to really uh, kind of, you know, have permission to let go and move forward. And I think that the cost of having intense emotional feelings and not having a system to keep them in check is way too high in the long run. Both of us have long-term sobriety. We know that it cannot last. Well, look, I mean, I think, you know, you and I are not doctors and we don't claim mm -mm. to be doctors. We don't want to be doctors. That's not us. You know, we're not psychiatrists. We're not therapists, but we do have a lot of deep experience yes. with this. And, you know, and the unfortunate thing is, I think so many people in recovery suffer from anxiety. Mm -hmm. They suffer from depression. They suffer from emotional flooding, an unregulation of feelings, right. uncontrollable, right? When they have done the work, the quote recovery work, yes. and they're embarrassed to say, you know, this is it. And I always think the, the best phrase I ever learned in working with anyone and 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 the first person I worked on was myself. Yes. Which is the important thing when you're looking for somebody to work on you. Yeah. You you know, you look for the people who will work just as hard on themselves because right. that's what it takes, right? To be able to do it. But I'm gonna tell you, like, 
one of the things I ask myself a lot and with other people is what is trying to emerge here? And you know mm -hmm. what? Sometimes the answer to this is, man, I have an anxiety disorder. Right. Or I have depression. It's just the fact that you have it, that you've identified it. It's like, you know what? I have depression. And this does not mean that my recovery plan is bad. This does no. not mean that I'm going to relapse in five minutes. This is not going to, this doesn't mean all the things that I think the group herd mentality says yes. that it means. It yes. doesn't necessarily mean that. It could, but probably not. It just means it's like, dude, you maybe biologically have got a anxiety disorder. Yes. Just like biologically, you are predispositioned to becoming an alcoholic. Right, right. And when you start to understand that, some of my clients get an ADHD diagnosis for the first time. It's like, it's like putting on a new pair of glasses when you're willing to go that extra mile and you can see things more clearly. It is that transformative. Yeah. And I would say, you know, just, you know, uh, you know, my final thought with the, this emotional flooding thing is, is that if you're constantly emotionally, if you're, if you're being flooded emotionally 24 seven and you've got recovery, mm -hmm. right? Like I, I think the other thing is too, newcomers might listen to this and say, I have emotional flooding. And I would say, well, that's probably a good thing because you're feeling mm -hmm. stuff. Yes. Like wait a bit, like wait a bit before you try to get in to get all Dr. Phil on it. Yes. If you're not having a ton of different emotions in early recovery, you might be dead. Right. Like <laughs> check, check yes. for a pulse, right? Like yes. um, you, you, you're probably not acting uh, you, you, your psychological footprint when people are looking at it probably looks a little erratic. Right. Um, right. And I think that that's common. I mean, who have you worked with in early recovery, Christina, that doesn't look on the outside in looking at it kind of crazy? A little bit. Yes. I mean, yeah. I was, I absolutely was. And, you know, understanding, I do not believe that. That's true. True. A little wild. I mean, I actually went the depressive side and slept a lot. Yeah. But uh, understanding that the way alcohol, and we just did a show about how long does it take for alcohol to quit affecting your brain? It is not within two weeks. You know, it's 90 days minimum to start feeling and actually processing thoughts. And then for years now, that doesn't mean you're not going to feel good when you put down the drink for a while. That is going to help you. That's going to be enough to keep you going, you know, to stop, keep you stopped. But eventually we do have to do the work. We do Absolutely. the deep work. Absolutely. Well, emotional flooding, we're going to do more about this. I know we're having a lot of recovered life discussions about it. I'd yes. like to invite everybody there. Guys, if you're not in these recovered life discussions, you are missing out. And a easy way to be able to get into these is to join Recovered Life. You could do that by going to recoveredlife.us. It's so easy, guys. You're going to get free content. You're going to get, you know, we have this new thing that's gone uh, where we partnered with Volley, right, Christina? Mm -hmm. uh, which we're shifting our network over to that. This is absolutely amazing. Somebody told me the other day, it's like, you guys have free coaching on here. You're putting out content. I was yes. putting out content. I'm going to tell you this morning, I put out content at 7 a.m. this morning, Christina. Oh, I was I love up it. bright and early going for a walk. And I had a bunch of recovery thoughts that I thought would help people. And we put it out in a segment. So guys, if you are not a member of Recovered Life, and did we mention it's free? Yeah. It, right? <laughs> you can't beat free. Uh, go to recoveredlife.us. That's recoveredlife.us. Christina Dennis, we have got 
quite the rest of the show coming up. Uh, we're going to dig into uh, a bunch of things here, but primarily by why you are not putting your recovery first and why that could be a move that really hurts you. So yes. hold tight. We're going to come up in just a few seconds after this break. You're listening to The Recovered Life Show. Welcome back. Hold tight. We're going to get into segment two. But before uh, we do that, I want to remind you all that this show is being brought to you by Recovered Life contributors like myself and people like you. Keep sharing, liking, following, leave us comments so that we can bring the information you're looking for, as well as visiting info.recoveredlife.us where you can join that network Damon was just talking about and leave us a donation, which allows us to keep doing this important work. That is info.recoveredlife.us. Now, Damon, I am very psyched for this next segment. I am very psyched for this next segment. And I really, uh, I'm happy that you decided to, to do it and we focus on it because I think so often we can miss about why putting your recovery, your physical sobriety first is is vital. I mean, it really is the foundation. And I'd coach why that still has to be in that number one slot. Well, I'll tell you, th you know, I'm so glad that we're doing this. This was my, you know, on the recovered life. Uh, if you're a member on the volley group, I put out this morning about why the missteps that I made by not mm -hmm. putting my recovery first. Right. And I think everybody goes through this. I know you have, you've shared I have, yes. times in your life that you've shifted your priorities around. And this is when us people in recovery start getting into trouble, in my opinion. Um, and I think this all comes down to this perception of time right, yes. and worth and value. I think for us as recovered people, we've been given the second chance, right? Right. To be able to live life. And uh, what happens is after you're sober for 30, 60, 90 days, a year, two years, life starts to get in the way. And that's a good thing. That means that mm -hmm. recovery is working for you. In, yes. in, in my opinion, like if life isn't getting in the way, then give Christine and I a call because <laughs> it should be, right? Yes. It should be. That's a good thing. Like, having family and friends and, you know, even like job drama and whatever, it means that you're out doing it. Right. Right. And these are all normal things, but I'll tell you what happens is I, and I'm just going to tell you what happened with me is that I made a decision. I said, well, you know what? I blew part of my early part of my early 20s. Good. Now I've got to fix that. So I have to be the super employee, the super entrepreneur, yes. the super relationship person, right? And what happened is the priorities became uh, everything but recovery. Mm. And at the end of the day, I, you know, I remember saying to a guy that I was working with in a 12-step program, I was like, I don't have time for this. And right. he said to me, a shout out to Kevin who listens to the show. He said to me, Damon, he goes, you don't understand. If you don't do this you're not going to have time for anything. Right. And I was like, no, no, you don't understand, man. You don't understand. <laughs> and he goes, no, you don't understand. You will have time if you put your recovery first. And I, I found that to be the case. 
What, what about you, Christina? Me too. You know, I was warned. Um, I, I love the way you set up this conversation because it is so true. The promises, if you follow 12 steps, there's promises that come true for most of us. And so it's really easy to start losing our focus. And of course, this is one of the reasons why we get sober. But I was warned, and I really believe this, that everything that you put in front of your sobriety, you will lose if you don't put your sobriety first. And I'm going to present like where this really hit me because it was a good reason. It wasn't that I got focused on job and stuff. When my son was diagnosed, I was nine years sober. And it was a very hard five years. And I knew, you know, that first year I was putting all of my care for him ahead of my own sobriety. I, you know, and so I understand when I say you have to put your sobriety first, I understand that there are compelling reasons why you may want to miss a week, maybe not connect, slow down on your step work, slow down on your therapy, because something has come up that needs your immediate attention. But I had a lot of really good people around me that connected with me and shared with me, you have to get to your meeting. You cannot help him if you don't. You have to focus it on. And I knew as things got slippery and that, you know, I wasn't sleeping at night and I was still working and trying to take care of him that I had to go put my recovery first. I really had to, or I was going to lose it. And so I, when I say you've got to do this, I really know how hard it can be sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a perfect example. I can't even imagine a more extreme situation of being challenged there to say, well, no, I have to do this. And I think just to just to throw this out there to anybody's listening, uh, you did take care of your child and you put your recovery first at the same yes. time. And yes. this is the thing I think about the high performance side of it is that I think for me, and I, I use this analogy a lot, is that I have to make sure as a recovered person that from the moment that I wake up, I'm connected to the higher power Wi-Fi. Yes. That no matter, and I and I have to have a 5G connection because I know I'm going to be driving through a valley and I'm going to get further and further and further away. I'm going to be in the middle of the desert. Yes. And that's when my problem is going to happen and my connection isn't going to be there. And I don't want to have to, you know, I, I, I want to be able to have that connection there. So for me, you know, look in early recovery, it was every minute checking to see if I had a connection. I don't do that now. Right. No, but throughout the day, I have to check at least three times a day. I have to check, Hey, am I connected? Am I plugged mm -hmm. in here? Am I right? Like, am I, and for me, you know, every morning it's asking for another day, Mm -hmm. uh, sober, thanking for the last day. So, right. There's certain little rituals or traditions I do, but I have to make sure that I'm cool. Like, Hey, what's going on with me? Am I angry? Am I upset about something? Do I have a resentment? Do I have this? Do I have that? I have to address that very early on because I believe this is me personally. If you put your recovery first and you have that connection, Christina, you are not going to relapse. Right. People ask, and, and I've been in bad situations, Christina, so mm -hmm. like, I've shared this openly. I, I have been there, the sober guy, eight years in, in a bathroom, like hitting my knees, praying, praying to God, like, please just get me through. Right. Like I've been in very challenging situations, but I've never really, I've never relapsed. And the reason I've not, I, I believe I haven't relapsed fully is that one, I did the work, but two, uh, I had a connection. 
Yes. Right. I had a connect. I had a relationship that would allow me to get through it. Right. right. Even if it's a minute at a time. And this is the thing. If you don't put your recovery first, when you're in that situation, you have no barrier against right. that drug or drink or codependency situation or eating or gambling thing. There is no barrier. It's like a brake pad. It's just metal to metal. And that's yeah. exactly where you don't want to be in your recovery. It, it really, really is. And it's even, you know, it's kind of easier in double digit sobriety or scarier, more riskier to start thinking you've got this. Your sobriety is good. You don't have to because you've been to those places over and over again, the same stories. Those people are just interested in, you know, doing drunkologues or talking about the past. And I'm a futurist and I want to work on other things. I mean, I've heard all the stories, other things. I mean, I've heard all the stories. You know, another thing that I think is really important to say at this time as an interventionist, if you are the codependent in the relationship, if you are the partner and you haven't got into recovery and you're not putting your recovery first, it can be really confusing and hurtful to partners. Well, all they do is go to meetings. When is that going to be over? What is the deal? You know, I, you know, they, they're always, oh, I've got to go to my meeting. And it is so vital for our friends and family that are around us to understand that if, and I've said this to a partner, you don't want them to stop going to their meetings. You've got to understand it. If you were a diabetic, you would take your insulin every day. That's how, that is how risky it is. And so a lot of conversation about this in early recovery or in early in a relationship, when you start, you know, because those happen, that's part of the ninth step promises. We start being dateable, you know, marriable. And if that partner doesn't understand that this has to come first, then you guys mm -hmm. will struggle for a long time. So it is. It's hard. Note. Yeah. It's hard to balance that too. Let's, let, let's be honest. And when we say this, it's because we've had to do it right. Like I have been the guy that has, you know, uh, it's the day after Christmas mm -hmm. and I tell my family, Hey, you know what? I'm going to cut out and go to this meeting, you know, in my hometown or whatever, I'm going to go check this out or I'm going to take this call. They're like, why don't you just take a break from that? Right. It's like, yes. well, right now I feel like I need it. Right. And the ability to be honest with yourself is as good. And, you know, and this is the flip side too. What this doesn't mean is that you should spend every waking hour in a 12 step meeting, every waking, right? There's a balance there. Like I, I'm not, I'm diagnosing anyone or telling anybody what to do. Right. Your program is your program. How you stay sober is your staying sober. But if you're, if you have five years of sobriety and every day of your life, you're in five 12 step meetings a day, right? And you don't have a job and you're not like, you don't have relationships and you don't, you're not really working on anything. I would say that that's an indication of like, okay, man, you need to sense some balance. Uh, right. We got sober so we could get a life. Yes. Right. So this is, but this is the, this is the tightrope that I think people on recovery walk and it comes down to, like, for me, I, I remember making this decision in about a year. I told my my sponsor, I was like, hey, I have a job. I'm not getting enough sleep. I'm not what, and he's like, look, you don't need that Wednesday meeting anymore. You've right. got your men's group meeting on Thursday, right? Yes. You've got, you know, we talk on Mondays or whatever. Like, you don't, you, right now in your life, you need to focus on this as well. Yes. That would be recovery is like, 
getting a job or making more money or, you know, uh, relationships or having fun, even having yes. fun that is going to round out your recovery, but you got to make sure that you're putting your recovery first before you start making those decisions. I'm so glad that you brought up the, the, the circumstances or the story that I think sometimes people could slip into, which is when you're hiding out in meetings and you're not living your life and you're avoiding responsibility, that's not what we're talking about. Because I certainly have come across, you know, I work with a lot of partners where somebody is, you know, multiple years of sobriety going to like you said, three meetings a day, and and they are not participating in their family system or not taking that extra promotion or that extra responsibility. You have to work with somebody to understand what your limits are and what works. And I will say this, during some of the really difficult years with my son um, where he didn't sleep and I was the one person that could help him, uh, my meeting shrank sometimes because that's what I had to do. But you brought it up first, that daily connection, that that connection to the Wi-Fi takes five minutes, you know, 10 minutes, uh, 20 minutes, depending on what you need. If you don't do that, if you don't start your day off with that, you're not going to have a day that is actually getting you the things that you want by being sober anyway. Well, look, I'm, I'm going to say this and, you know, I'll, I'll get the... Uh... 12 step hate mail. Yes. <laughs> it's funny because I'm a huge, you know, me personally and you've coached with me. So it's like, yes, we, we've worked on stuff together. Like we work on stuff together. Right. So like, right. um, you know, that I'm a huge 12 step fanboy. Like I'm I a do. huge, I'm, I'm a huge, um, fan of it. I, I yes. just think it's absolutely amazing. Especially if you look about when it was developed and created, it's like, amazing. It's a miracle. It's, it's probably one of the best inventions that's happened in hundreds of years, in my opinion. Agreed. Uh, but the thing is, the, the, the thing is, though, is that people get stuck there. And 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 I will I, I will say that, you know, and I have been one of those people, you get stuck there, right? So the, this is a this is a balance. You've got to, you have to be able to build a life, your best recovered life. But what people don't understand is the mortar in the bricks is that you're sober. You're not going to have the car, the house, the relationship, any of that if you don't. And even if you do, you won't appreciate it. Right. So you won't, you know, and you'll eventually lose it, you know. Yes. Uh, or no one will enjoy it with you. Like we've seen all of these scenarios. So it's like just having that connection. And I think, you know, you know, to further say too, I think that the pandemic told us that it wasn't about the religious part of recovery. Mm -hmm. And you know what I'm mm -hmm. saying by that? Going to show up, say the same things, hold people's hands. Like, no, it wasn't about that. The people who stayed sober during the pandemic had some sort of deep experience in their own recovery, were working with other people, right? right. And also understood that at the end of the day, they held the personal responsibility to reach out. Right. They held the personal responsibility to make sure that they had the connection, not some group that you meet at the at the at the local church corner. Right. It's 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 not really about that. That's essential. And I'm so glad that that group is there. But but my recovery isn't that it's personal no. to me. So good. You are exactly right. Going through the motions or the rituals of a meeting is not recovery. You know? No, it's not. 
No, absolutely. Well, I'm so glad that we had this topic. Look, I know these are a little controversial and they upset people. And I think, you know, sometimes it rattles people because they're like, you know what? Look, I know something's wrong. I don't really want to look at that because it breaks the way that I've been doing it for five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. You know, look, I have, I, we have a men's group, the old school, which I talk about a lot. And, you know, we have people in there that have, you know, the 30 years of sobriety or whatever, like, and you know, what we talk about is getting uncomfortable. Yes. That's what we talk about. Like, if you really want good sobriety, you have to be uncomfortable in the conversation. Sometimes if you're too comfortable, like you just say like, oh, well, I've got this. You know, mm-hmm. I will tell you the best recovery I've ever had is when I clearly knew I didn't have this. Yes. <laughs> Isn't that true? Isn't that true? You know, being being willing to continue to search and look and have the behaviors that we want to have is so important. I mean, I'm 25 years in and I still go to, you know, two home groups a week where I share the real stuff, you know, the stuff that is about what is happening in my life today. And we talked about it in the first segment, understanding that you don't got it. You know, I don't got this right now is really, really important. Absolutely. You know, one of the first steps in knowing that you don't have it is, you know, that, that you don't maybe have the recovery that you want is just being honest about it. And that's mm-hmm. why we have the recovered life is because we want to have these conversations so that you could live your best recovered life. Um, it wasn't the comfortable conversations that allowed me to live my best recovered life. It was yes. the uncomfortable conversations that I then did something about at the end of it. That's the key. You can have the uncomfortable conversation, but if you don't take any action around it and around your life, you know, same with the emotional flooding. We were just talking. Yes. If you don't take action, 20 years, you're going to be sitting there having the same experience over and over again. <laughs> right. And that's, and that's not living your best recovered life. It sure isn't. There's so much better out there for us. You know, the, the promises, the life that we're looking for is on the other side of those uncomfortable conversations and actions. Christina Dennis, this has been an amazing episode of The Recovered Life, two jam-packed segments. Thank you so much uh, for doing this with me today. It was a lot of fun. Episode 111, Wednesday, May 18th, 2022. I think this is in the can. Anything anything else to say about it? Just that I really appreciate being part of Recovered Life, and I really appreciate all the viewers and the people that continue to encourage me. We do this together. Absolutely, guys. If you're listening to this, the best way that you can help us is like, comment, share, tell a friend about The Recovered Life. Uh, We're going to wrap up episode 111 here on Wednesday, May 18th, 2022. Everybody go out and live their best recovered life. Keep the conversation going. Join Recovered Life, a community of like-minded people who are looking to live their best recovered lives. Membership is free and you can apply at recoveredlife.us.